For more information about First Baptist Church, visit our website at fbclawschool.org. Open your Bibles, if you will, to John 24. John 24. We're going to be looking at verses 36 through 53 today. But before we do that, I wanted to go to Matthew 28, which is one of my favorite uh, passages that recounts the interaction between the angels and the women who came to the tomb on that Easter Sunday. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for He has risen just as He said. Everything Jesus said came to be. Everything that the, was necessary for the, the prophecies to be fulfilled about the Messiah came to be. Jesus had risen just as he said. You know, some of us get so caught up in the Easter weekend and all the things that we do, you know, whether it's you know, putting on our, our Sunday go-to-meeting clothes, our good Sunday Easter clothes, and, and having dinner or lunch with our family, and, and having egg hunts and that type of thing, and, and getting a little extra time off. I mean, we, we get wrapped up in that. But I'm going to tell you something. Easter is so much more than that. Easter is so much more than that. It's a Sunday in which we celebrate in a very special way the historical fact of our Lord and Savior's resurrection from the dead. It's not just a Sunday school story. It's not just a myth that we that's been propagated by people for over two millennia. It is a historical fact. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. We can rest our assurance, our hope, our faith, our eternity on that fact. But the resurrection of Christ from the dead should do more than just impact our lives once a year when we gather here together. As Christians, we don't celebrate the Lord's resurrection just once, but every day of the year. That ought to be something that's just foundational to who we are. That Jesus is alive and he's, he's in my heart and He's in your heart. And when we live, Jesus lives. And when we minister, we minister in the name of Jesus. And, and Jesus leads us and teaches us and He's sent the Holy Spirit to, to comfort us and to guide us. It's just who we are. And we remember it every year because we need to be inspired. We need to be reminded. We need to be, uh, we need to be motivated to let the truth of His resurrection impact us every single day of our lives. It's what the resurrection did for the disciples. It was totally life-changing for them, totally transformational. A good example of the transforming power of the resurrection is what happened to two disciples on the Emmaus Road in Luke 24 Verses 13 through 35. Now, there's a difference between the disciples that we know of as the 11, because Judas had already, had already killed himself. It's the 11 and then the disciples. The disciples are those people who were following Jesus. They would follow him from town to town. They would sit and listen as he taught. They were his, uh, his, his followers. They were the folks that had, that had come with him. And so two of these people were the ones that were on their way home on the Emmaus Road. They were followers of Christ, and they had left Jerusalem disappointed, disillusioned, downhearted, because those two disciples on the road to Emmaus had, as a result of our Lord Jesus' crucifixion, fallen into despair. 
They'd forgotten the words of Jesus, that he would be crucified, buried, and raised to life on the third day. They'd forgotten his promise. They'd also forgotten the works of Jesus, unstopping the ears of the deaf, opening the eyes of the blind, causing the lame to walk, raising the dead to life, each time proving that he had the power to do exactly what he had promised he would do. Jesus had even joined them, right, on this journey, on the Emmaus Road, and they didn't even recognize him. But when they realized the risen Christ was with them, that despair that they had been experiencing turned into great delight. It turned into joy. It turned into rejoicing when they knew who it was from forgetting the words uh, of Christ to faith in his word, from forgetting his works to faith in his working. They were filled with passion. They were filled with promise. They were filled with purpose. They knew what they were going to do now. They had a mission. And it's the same mission that we have today. Right? It's a mission to go and report what we know. Go and report what we have seen. When the women left the tomb to go back to the eleven and report to them in the upper room, what they had experienced, the word that the Greeks used for report is the same that Paul used when he talked about witnessing, preaching, testifying. So these folks that had this experience with Jesus are going to go back and they're going to witness and testify, just like we are called to take our experience with Jesus and witness and, and testify about it. God wants the resurrection of our Lord uh, and, and, and his presence with us to make a, a difference in our lives. See, these two disciples returned to Jerusalem to tell the eleven about everything they had experienced on this road. And it's here that we come to today's passage. They, are, they have come back to the upper room and they're going to start telling the disciples about what happened and that's when we're going to have, we're going to see their upper room experience. Look at verse 36 of chapter 24. Now while they were telling these things, Jesus himself suddenly stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were looking at a spirit. And he said to them, why are you frightened and why are doubts arising in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and, and see, because a spirit does not have flesh and bones, yet as you can plainly see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and astonishment, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They served him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in front of them. Now he said to them, verse 44 continues, Now he said to them, These are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, So it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name, to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Verse 50 continues, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. What an upper room experience. They had had a visit and a final message, marching orders 
from Jesus Christ. They made some discoveries in that experience that made them live lives of of passion. God used them to turn their world upside down and then right side up for the Savior. Pastor and teacher Josh McDowell writes, the most telling testimony of all must be the lives of those early Christians. We must ask ourselves, what caused them to go everywhere telling the message of the risen Christ? As a reward for their efforts, those early Christians were beaten, stoned to death, thrown to the lions, tortured and crucified. Every conceivable method was used to stop them from talking. Yet they laid down their lives as the ultimate proof of their complete confidence in the truth of their message. Those discoveries are ones we need to make as we learn to live our daily lives in the fact that our Savior is a living Savior. He has once for all conquered sin, Satan, death, and hell. Once for all. And it's on the basis of His authority that these people were sent out to live on a mission for Christ. And it's the same authority that sends us out. It's the same authority that clothes, us, that clothes us in His power to go out into a world and make a difference. Share the gospel. Witness. Let our lives be a living testimony, but let our words speak of the unspeakable love of Jesus. May we have a similar upper room experience. I like these disciples. I'd like to take a look at them and kind of put our lives into theirs and let's, kind of like them, let's us discover a couple of things. Number one, let's discover the reality of the resurrection. The reality of the resurrection. Jesus showed that he wasn't a ghost, he wasn't a, a figment of, of somebody's imagination, but he was truly alive. He was truly with them. A Savior who had once for all conquered sin, he had done that. Jesus came up and spoke to them. Look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He said, look, he said, I am here. Touch me. See the hands. See my feet. I'm not some kind of delusion that you're having. I am real. I am with you. And he says, now I am clothed in power. In my name and in my authority, you're going to leave this room and you are going to change humanity because of me. See, the resurrection is the basis of his promise to never abandon us. Jesus is always with us. He's always with us. I read it somewhere that if Easter is not true, then all things perish. Body, soul, hope, ambition, love, toil, nothing matters but thrills of temporal existence. But if Easter is true, then all problems are solved. The strain and sacrifice of earthly life become worthwhile because eternal values are added. We are not living for this world. 
right? We are living for the world to come. We are living for the life to come. What we experience here is momentary because of the hope that the resurrection gives us in an eternity with our Savior, an eternity with the God of our creation. Paul expressed it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. Three verses later, uh, uh, verses later in verse 17, he says, and if Christ has not been saved, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. This is what the resurrection means. In verses 19 and 20 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. The resurrection is a reality. The resurrection is the foundation, the basis of our faith, the fact that Jesus Christ has defeated death on our behalf. He has defeated sin on our behalf. And we have no reason to fear ever again. The believer has no reason to ever fear again. We have the reality of the resurrection. We also need to learn the necessity of the cross. The cross was necessary. We're told the risen Lord um, illuminated the 11's understanding. He basically opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures about him. He revealed to them the necessity of the cross. How his coming to die for the sins of the world had been prophesied from the very beginning. The first prophecy ever given by God to man tells of the necessity of the cross. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity. Enmity is open hostility. Okay, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed, your offspring, and her seed. He shall bruise your head fatally. He shall bruise your head, and you shall only bruise his heel. J. Hampton Keithley says one of the authenticating proofs for the inspiration of the Bible, which is at the same time uh, authenticates the claims of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the only Savior of the world, are the many fulfilled prophecies which find their fulfillment in the person and life of Jesus of Nazareth. We have in the Holy Scripture an array, Keithley writes, of prophecies which extend over hundreds of years and yet find their complete fulfillment in the short 30-year lifespan of one person, Jesus of Nazareth, many being fulfilled in one day, the day that he died for the sins of the world. We have the, the benefit of the Scriptures. We have the benefit of 2,000 years of hindsight and research and study to know everything that was necessary for the coming of the Messiah that had been prophesied for hundreds of years took place in Jesus' lifetime, took place with Jesus. Everything, he, he had everything laid out from the moment of a Passover all the way through his resurrection. He had laid it out so the disciples would understand that prophecy had been fulfilled, the Messiah had come. He had brought the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God didn't come on a war horse, it came on a humble Donkey, it came to bring in a life of leadership and service and sacrifice and love. That's our legacy. That's what's given to us. That is what we are stewards of today. 
that legacy. No doubt, everything that prophecy had indicated needed to take place was part of what Jesus had pointed out to the disciples so that they would understand the significance of the cross. Why did the cross have to take place? For all of these reasons. For all of these reasons. There's a little poem that says, He who could do all things came to do what we could not, so we who deserved condemnation might be accepted without blemish or spot. The cross was necessary. We also need to know about the urgency of our task. The urgency of the task before us. An old story says that when Jesus ascended to heaven, the angels asked him, did you accomplish your task? Jesus said, yes, it is finished. We have a second question. The angel said, has the whole world had a chance to respond to what you have done and to trust you as Savior? No. He said, not yet. Well, the angel said, what is your plan? What's your plan for that? Jesus said, I've left 12 men and some others to take that message to the whole world. And the angels kind of looked at each other. And they looked down at the earth. And they kind of looked at each other again. And they looked at Jesus. What's your plan B? They said. And Jesus replied, there is no plan B. This was the plan. This was God's plan. It still is today. Me and you and every person who ever believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, whoever gave themselves to Him completely, whoever offered up their anxieties and their fears and their joys and their celebrations to God to do with what He would do, this was the plan. There is no plan B. We are the messengers. We are the ones that, as Paul says, will go and be ambassadors for Christ to beg people to be reconciled to the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. We are the front line and the rear guard of the kingdom of God on earth. And Jesus Christ in his power fortifies us, empowers us. The Holy Spirit teaches us and guides us and, and convicts us when, we're, when we need it keeps us pointed on the right way. Why? So that we can fulfill the one mission that He's got for us, and that is to bring others to the cross. To bring others to Jesus Christ so that He can do with their lives what only He can do. You see, it's not our job to save. It's our job to witness. It's not our job to make sure people accept Christ's sacrifice. The Holy Spirit does that. We need to focus on what we are responsible for doing, and that is not being quiet about what the Lord has done for us. Not being quiet about what we know to be true. Refusing to be silenced when a culture doesn't want to hear the truth of what we have got to say. Standing up for the truth and not my truth. Truth is not flippant. Truth is not 
subjective. Truth is truth. And the reality is, the cross is down, the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive and he loves you. And he wants to save you. He wants to take away the fear and anxiety in your life and he wants to replace it with an unspeakable joy, with an unexplainable happiness, with love beyond measure. That's what he wants to do. That's the urgency of our task. There is no plan B, y'all. We're it. We also should know about the source of our power. We need to know about where the power that we have, the power that we claim, the power that we minister in and love and serve, and where it comes from. The means whereby we can fulfill our mission as the people of God is by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is how we're able to do what we are created and called and challenged to do. Not in our own strength, not in our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power by the Holy Spirit when he's come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, Jesus said. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to even the uttermost part of the earth. How do we do that? Jerusalem is right here. Judea and Samaria goes out in concentric circles from our Jerusalem. The ends of the earth. How do we do that? Well, we do it here through the power we receive when the Holy Spirit has come upon us. When the Holy Spirit lives in us, we are able to do infinitely more than we ever could do on our own. When, the whole, when, we, when we are free to accept the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're able to make a... a life-transforming difference and eternity-transforming difference, not in our strength, but in the power of God through the Holy Spirit. We are simply vessels. He uses us to do His work. A child in science class was asked one time to fill an eight-ounce glass with water. And then after everyone had their glasses filled, the teacher poured four ounces of sand into the glass. I'm not a big science person. That's why I kind of thought this was interesting. And of course, half the water ran out, right? When you put the sand in there, half the water flowed out and was lost. What was being taught was the law of displacement, right? That two substances cannot occupy the same space at the same time. But listen, let me tell you something. Let's get this for where we are today. The same is true for us spiritually. The same is true for us spiritually. If the Savior is first in our lives. The Holy Spirit can empower us to live lives of power, of promise, of purpose. But if ourselves are first, if we sit on the throne of our heart, sin leads us into a life of weakness, a life of worry, a life of wandering, so who is first? Two substances cannot occupy the same space at the same time. Is it going to be us or is it going to be Jesus? That's, that's the question. That's the source of our power. Another thing we need to know, that we need to learn, that we need to embrace, is the brightness 
the brightness of our future. Acts 1, 10 and 11 says, And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This is Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. The Feast of the Ascension is celebrated in the country of Morocco every, every year. The people celebrate by doing uh, many things. Uh, uh, they, the, the king would come, pick one city to come to, but he wouldn't say which one. So the entire country got themselves ready for this feast day, for this celebration. Flags are placed in prominent places of businesses and homes, and lighted pictures of the king appear along the streets. Strings of lights crisscross the main streets of a lot of these big towns and little towns. Lighted crowns are, are evidence on top of buildings and along the streets. They're, they're really in a, in a celebration mode. The entrance to big main streets have lighted effects. They have large arches and palm fronds. And it's, it's, a, it's a tremendous celebration. The king goes only to one city, but nevertheless, all the cities prepare. They don't want to be embarrassed should the king visit them and they're not prepared. Listen, our king is coming. Our king is coming. We know that to be true just as certainly as we know the resurrection to be a fact. We know that Jesus is coming. And what are we told to do? Be ready for his return. Because when he does... We don't want to be found just waiting, right? There's a parable in Luke 19 called the parable of the money usage. And this man goes to, this, this ruler goes to accept the kingship of another community, another state. And before he goes, he gives a certain number of, of minus to each one of several of his slaves. And he wants them to do something with it while he's gone. And when he comes back, one of the slaves says, I took this and I, I invested and I did stuff with it. And look, here's 10. And he said, you have been faithful with a little. In my new kingdom, you will have responsibility for more. And he goes to another one. Another one says, I took it and I did this with it and I did that with it and here's... Here's five. And he said, you've been faithful. And then there was one who said, I knew that you were a hard person. And I knew that you sowed where you didn't, or you reaped where you didn't sow, and you, you took from things that you didn't work to get. And so I was afraid. And so I, I took that one minus that you gave me, and I buried it. And he basically said, freely translated from Greek, get out of my sight. You knew that I was this way. You knew that I was a hard person. You knew that I had done these, done these things and you still didn't do anything. You could have at least put it in the bank and I could have gotten interest for it. But you didn't even do that. But this is what he says before he leaves in, in Luke 19, 13. He says, And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minus and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. Jesus Christ has entrusted us with the gospel. He has entrusted us with the message of hope and salvation. And he says, do business with this until I come back. And what is that business? Share it. Grow it. Nurture it. 
protect it, love it. The church, not this building, the people. Those that are seeking, searching. He says, do business with what I have given you until I come back. Are we doing business with what the, the Lord gave us? My prayer today is that as we look at the empty tomb and the reality of the risen Savior that we love and that we serve and that we testify to, that we will be faithful and doing business with what He has given us. That we'll take our gifts and our talents and we'll employ them for the good of the gospel. We will employ them for our good and for the glory of God. He has given each one of us so much. We are so blessed. And He says, take this and use it. Use it to grow my kingdom. And then He sent the Holy Spirit to help us do that. What a tremendous charge. Let us have that same upper room experience with Jesus. Believe I'm here. See me. Have faith in me. Go and do in my name. Change the world. Father, I just thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the tomb. God, I thank you that from the foundation of the world, you had a plan to reunite a sinful, arrogant, independent humanity to yourself through the only blood that could make an appropriate, acceptable sacrifice. And that's the blood of your son, Jesus. And I thank you that he, he took that mission all the way to the cross. God, I thank you that in fulfillment of the Scriptures, He was raised on the third day. Death doesn't scare us anymore. Pain is temporary. Sickness is fleeting. God, for those of us who believe our eternity is secure, there's nothing and no one and no how that we can be taken from Your hand. God, I thank you for that promise. I thank you for your word that calls us. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that ministers in my life and the life of every believer and who would, who would gladly go to any person who would believe and who would confess and repent. God, thank you for my Savior. Let what we feel on Easter be something that in, just infects us all day, every day, not just once a year, but throughout history and throughout the future. God, I thank you for that. Lord, if there's somebody in this room that is struggling with a decision to make, God, let today be that day. Let the beauty of the empty tomb rally their spirit and their soul to understand that Jesus did this for them too, not just for me, and not just for every other believer here, but for them too. Lord, let today be that day in Jesus' name.